Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Duntire. Phone lines open for the first 90 minutes of the show today. We want to hear from you at 315-437-7644. We're going to talk some Q's basketball. Uh, it is Tuesday, which means Top 5 Tuesday. Seth, I think we have a good topic for today. Something, I think so. Something I've been looking forward to uh, to talking about. We'll get into that uh, as the show moves along. But we begin with Q's basketball. It is game number two now of the regular season for this a very young Syracuse squad. We saw them play a couple of exhibition games against Division II opponents. We said, you know, these games are important, maybe more important than years past because of how young and inexperienced this roster is. And then we saw them play against Cornell. And okay, all right, it's a step up in competition. It's a lower level Division One program. You get Iona tonight, and and this is a, a program that won 22 games a year ago, went to the NCAA tournament, lost to Oregon in the first round, as Adrian Autry told us yesterday, uh, four Men from the eight-man rotation are back. Four players are back, so it's an experienced squad to some degree. Again, one that won 22 games a year ago, one of the favorites uh, in the MAC conference to return to the NCAA tournament. These games do feel more important, Seth, than in years past, where... You know, in, in years past, it'd be like, well, it's Cornell, it's Colgate, whatever. We know what the outcome's going to be. You don't really get much out of these games. This team in particular, I think, gets a lot out of these early season games. And pretty soon, two weeks from, what, two weeks from yesterday is the game against Maryland. Then you've got Maryland, Kansas, UConn. So this team has two weeks to kind of build its way up to playing big-time opponents. And then we're going to obviously see what this team is all about and, and get a real feel for for what this team is all about. But in the meantime, these games are important. Tonight matters. Outcome aside, I mean, you assume Syracuse is going to win, but but what happens matters. Yeah, absolutely. Tonight does matter, and there is experience coming back from this Iona team, and they did go to the tournament last year. They won their conference, and that matters, and that's a big deal. And I think that... You know, we sit and we look at the Cornell game and, and we may say, hey, throw out the positives because you're more athletic and you're supposed to score 75 points and you're supposed to win that game easily and just take the po- the, the negatives. And to an extent that's fair, to an extent that's unfair. Uh, but I think that we'll get a much better read of this team tonight. We'll get a much better read of this team next Monday night against Oakland, uh, you know, before we get to that Maryland game. Uh, which of course will will really get a read on what this team is. Uh, but you know, you you look at tonight and coming off an, an experienced team against a torn a, a team that went to the tournament last year. You're young. You're still figuring yourself out. Um, I think that we'll get a pretty good read on what this Syracuse team is based on tonight. Right? It, it is still early. This team st- still can grow, and and we know that. Uh, but where are they two games in? Right, where where is this team? What is the baseline of this team? Can they beat a team that went to the tournament last year and has you know half of their rotation coming back? I get it, it's Iona, uh, but it is still a team that's coming back and and uh, that's bringing back pieces and went to the tournament. I heard this last night uh, from Coach Calipari uh, on Sports Center. Uh, he, he was on and, and he said, you know, we played Vermont. Why are we playing Vermont? You know, that that's that's a no win for us. They won twenty something games. They won their league. They go to the tournament and they brought back four of their five starters. 
uh, you know, and that's when you learn something about your team. You don't learn about your team playing, you know, Utah Valley. You learn about your team playing Vermont is how uh, Cal said it. And, and I think the same is true with Syracuse. You don't learn your uh, about your team playing against Cornell. Uh, you know, you'll learn against about your team playing Iona, playing Oakland, playing Maryland, uh, much more so than playing the lower level teams. I know that you and I are still kind of getting used to working with each other. Uh, do you know my feelings for, you don't like for him, Coach Calipari? Right? Yeah. I, I saw that interview last night, and um, it was a lot of it was hard to watch. Up. Yeah. You think? I mean, that's yeah. that's what he's all about. But I did um, think that point was no, interesting. It, it was it was a good point. But you, I just I remember watching that interview last night, just thinking to myself, like everything is so self serving, and it's oh, it's all about the kids, and it's not about me, Scott. It's all about the kids. It, Van man. Pelt even made fun of him about it. He was like, all right, anything else you got to get out there? Anything else you got to pump up? Yeah. So okay, great point by Coach Cal. Early season games That was the important. only thing I took out of that no, interview. Understood. And and we made this point last week, Seth, that you look at this non-conference schedule and of course Maryland and Kansas and, and even UConn and Georgetown because of the brand name, they're going to garner a lot of the attention. But some of these mid-majors that are on the schedule are pretty good and maybe better than, than Syracuse wants them to be. You know, Coach Cal says, why are we playing Vermont? I mean, look at St. Bonaventure this year. Supposed to be a very good team. Oakland won 25 games a year ago. Went yeah. to the NIT. Uh, Toledo was a 500 team. Iona, as we said, 22 wins. Went to the NCAA tournament. Lost to Oregon in the first round. And, and you've got a lot of experienced mid-majors that are going to be coming to the Carrier Dome this year. That's not a bad thing. It, I think it's a great thing, especially, again, for this team. You said that there's room to grow. This team is going to continue to grow throughout the season and maybe even beyond. As we said, you know, you're going to lose Geno Thorpe. Maybe you're going to lose Tyus Battle. Everybody else is coming back. And so for them, it's kind of a two-year process. I know you don't want to give up on this season, but the growth, in, in terms of the growth together, it's right. going to be a – a two-year process for this team. So, it, it, you know, you're laying the foundation right now, and, and I, I don't think you can overstate how important these games are. You know, the casual fan may see Cornell on the front of the chest or, or Iona or Oakland, uh, but these games are important, and, and you can't beat a Maryland or, or a St. Bonaventure, for that matter, if you don't take care of business now and, and learn to grow and improve and get better. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to, to game number two. Uh, I'm, I'm looking more forward to Iona, I think, than maybe I would in the past. I agree. Uh, absolutely agree. You know, th- this is a game that I would look forward to a lot more than if last year's team were playing yeah. Iona, right? And, and, you know, obviously it's funny to say that now with hindsight of knowing that last year's team kind of fell flat and, and didn't come together the way that I, I think everybody expected them to. Uh, but last year we kind of knew, right? Like we know Ty, uh, that, we know that uh, you know, Tyler Lydon was pretty good. We know what Andrew White was because we saw him in big-time college play. You know, we, we don't have that same feeling this year. We don't have that same feeling of how these guys are coming together. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, uh I'll be interested to see how they show up tonight. I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, what they do, right? How they play. Uh, yeah, they they might end up winning by fifteen or twenty points. I, I don't know. You know, what, what are we going to see to get to that margin, right? I mean, I think that's the question more so than the outcome. Well, they beat Cornell by 32, and again, in years past, you say, oh, well, they're supposed to beat Cornell by 32. Well, for one thing, the line was about 15, not that that really matters, but the third, I mean, it was an impressive 32. It was, wow, defensively, they look really good. They held them to 25% shooting and 15% shooting from three-point range, and, and they put on the press midway through the first half, and and, and they, they did a lot of good things. I mean, O'Shea Brissett finishes with a double-double. He didn't even shoot the ball well. He was three for 13 from the field, finished with a double-double. 
uh, Matthew Moyer, uh, 10 rebounds in the game. You're able to to draw some conclusions, early observations, I guess, about individual players. And again, even though it's quote-unquote just Cornell, that was an impressive, I thought. I yeah. thought that was an impressive start for this team to go out opening night with all the opening night jitters and to, to beat that team as handily as they did. Uh, I thought that was uh, you know an encouraging sign. A lot, long ways to go, obviously. Right. A lot of basketball left to be played. I realize it's just Cornell, but I thought it was, a, it was an encouraging first step for this team. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think it's an encouraging first step. I think it's uh, a necessary first step, right? Like I think that that was uh, kind of Syracuse doing what they need to do to Cornell. You know, as I said, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're more athletic. Um, you know, you you've got to go beat them by thirty points, um, and they did. And the fact that they did is, is one of those things that you look at and say, okay, you know, th- this team is, has come together enough to do what you got to do uh, against a team like Cornell. You know, that's that's you know not to knock Cornell, but again. You're an ACC team, and they're an Ivy League team. There are going to be advantages that you have, and and even with being a young team, even with being an unproven team, an untested team, you still have those advantages, right? Like like we saw last week that Syracuse still has advantages over other schools, of over mid-major schools. Uh, you know, I would imagine that we see a lot of that tonight, but at the same time, Iona brings in more experience. Iona brings in a better team uh, from last year than than Cornell did, and it, it'll just be a step up in competition. And for the next two weeks, I think we're going to have a similar thing, right? I mean, generally, you're going to be facing a team with more experience because Syracuse is about as young as you can get. Uh, and you, you've got these these five mid-majors to start the season, Cornell, Iona, Texas Southern, Oakland, Toledo, and then you hit the big boys with, with Maryland and Kansas. So you got two weeks to, to kind of ramp up to that, get yourself ready uh, to be tested in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. We should point out uh, Cornell did win its home opener last night, uh, beat Binghamton by 10, uh, Jimmy Beheim with uh, five points on two for four shooting. Matt Morgan uh, went for 26 uh, in that win. I know you had your, your first Adrian Autry show uh, last night from Stratomia. Anything else uh, that, that stood out to you during that hour-long conversation you had with Coach Autry? Yeah, I, th- I thought this one was actually really interesting. Uh, I asked him about Frank Howard and, and making that adjustment and being a starter and, and what the I guess the keys are to that position because obviously Adrian Autry played point guard for Jim Beheim at Syracuse University, uh, so I was I was just curious, you know, what what are the keys to to making that work, you know, where it hadn't for Frank the first two years? I think it's really just trying to understand, you know, uh, what the position and how Coach Beheim wants you to play the position. And I think he he's been here two years, and I think uh, some of the things that we may have been asking him to do earlier on, he might not have been ready for. But we also had some guys that were more experienced uh, ahead of him. And I think he's learned from all of those situations. I mean, he's a tough kid. And, I mean, again, in, in today's world, most kids that go through the situations that he's went through, uh, you know, they wouldn't be here. They would have left and went somewhere else. So, you know, I, I always give him credit for that. And he wants to be here. And, uh, and I think he's learned a lot since he's been here. And I think, you know, we'll see that this year. You know, I even said after, uh, we, we've seen a player recently in his exact position where things didn't go well and, and is not here anymore. Right, I mean, I didn't name him, but we saw Caleb Joseph. I mean, he he was in the exact same position Frank Howard was, and he was given the reins as a sophomore, and it didn't work out. You know, or he was given the reins as a freshman and didn't quite work out. He comes back for his sophomore year with kind of that second chance, and it doesn't work out, and he bails. Whereas Frank Howard got the reins as a sophomore, it you know didn't 
quite work out, and he stuck around. And, uh, you know, at the very least, you got to give him credit for sticking around and, and, and seeing if it'll work now. Uh, because I, I think for I think now he's kind of in it for the long haul, right? Like, he's not going anywhere at this point. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to see if he'll be able to do that and take on the increased workload. Uh, you know, as you said last week, and, and I, I agreed, you know, I, I think that he's going to be a major key for this team. And, and I think that if he's not the guy... Um, you know, Syracuse will be in some trouble. I, I don't, I'm not going to make any sweeping generalizations over one game against Cornell. I don't know if Geno Thorpe's the guy. I, I just, I haven't seen him, right? Like, I haven't seen him enough to know that he'll be the point guard for this team the way John Gillen was come January 3rd. I, I just, I have no idea. And so I think for that reason, you've got to rely on Frank Howard. Well, I'll, I'll say this about Geno Thorpe and Frank Howard and Tyus Battle, and, and they need everyone this right. year. They, they They've got to play together. They don't have enough talent. To, to go out and rely on two or three guys just to, to get the job done. And I mean, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. They have talent. Do they have the same amount of talent that Duke has or Louisville has? Probably not. I mean, I mean that, have you seen Marvin Bagley? Right. So it's safe to say that, that the better competition you're facing, I mean, there's a reason SU was picked to finish 10th in the conference. I mean, the top of the ACC is really, really good. And now maybe next year, Syracuse is in that upper echelon, but I understand why they were picked to finish 10th. So with that being said, you, you need everyone. You need Geno Thorpe to be good. You need Frank Howard to be good. You need Tyus Battle, so on and so forth across right. the board. Um, and for what it's worth, I think Howard's shot looks a lot better than it did last year. Um, Agree there. His decision-making needs to improve. We saw in the, the first two action games he had more turnovers than you would like. We saw last year in losses his assist-to-turnover ratio was essentially 1-1. One to one, and, and over the course of the season, it was about 2.5 to 1. That's kind of where it needs to be, around 2.5, 3-1, uh, what have you. So four assists, one one turnover in the opener against Cornell. Nine points. Only played 24 minutes. They didn't need him to play more than that. Um, they need everybody. And, you know, y- your best lineup might be with three guards this year. I mean, we, that remains to be seen. But you might need Frank Howard and Tyus Battle and Geno Thorpe on the floor together to score. And, and O'Shea Brissett in the center or, or something along those lines. That, right. that might end up being your best lineup. So this isn't, in my opinion, this isn't about Frank Howard versus Geno Thorpe. It's you and. need every it, Exactly. It's and, not versus. Exactly. It's not either or. It's you need all these guys to be. You need your leaders to be good, and there's no denying the fact that Frank Howard and Ty's Battle are the leaders of Absolutely. this team. They need both of them to be good. Absolutely, you could tell that this team follows the two of them. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. We need to take our first time out. We'll step aside. We'll be right back. Phone lines open up until one thirty. We got Donna Detota set to join us at one thirty to talk some Cuse basketball. The Orange taking on Iona tonight inside the dome. We are back after this on ESPN Radio. Tune in every Monday as Hall of Famer Floyd Little talks SU football with Steve and Seth on Orange Nation. Brought to you by Drivers Village and William Matar. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Steven Seth back with you on a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. We are powered by Drivers Village 315-437-7644. Phone lines open now for the next hour. We'll bring on Donna DeTota from Syracuse.com and the Syracuse Post Standard at 1.30 to continue our SU men's basketball talk. But it is Tuesday. Uh, time for our top five Tuesday topic. And uh, I begin with this, Seth. It's something I've been wanting to do for a while. Um and I was reminded of it over the weekend. Did you see the end of Alabama-Mississippi State football Saturday night? When Nick Fitzgerald threw the Hail Mary out of bounds? Yes. Yes. Did you see the play before that? 
when he threw it into the end zone and the guy got tackled? Yes. Yeah. I am remind. So the, the the topic today. If you were in charge of sports, sports czar. If yeah. you were the sports czar, what rules would you change? And that's not at the top of the list, but it is on my list. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, what, Alabama what rule? pass interference, spot of the foul. Okay. Or in that case, put it at the two yard line. Well, that in college it's a different rule. Yeah, exactly. It's a dumb rule. So that's why I would change it. And it's not at the top of my list, but it is on my list. So yes. for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Alabama takes the lead in the final minute. Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State is able to get to midfield, and on the last play of regulation from the 49 yard line, Nick Fitzgerald throws it into the end zone, and Keith Holcomb of Alabama just tackles a Mississippi State wide receiver. Just, I mean, flat out just tackles him in the end zone. So the referees throw the flag as they should. Pass interference, it's 15 yards. And instead of being at the two-yard line, which it would be in the NFL, or the one-yard line, they put it at the, what, 34-yard line. Yeah, they so moved essentially, them up 15 yards. So essentially it turns into another Hail Mary. Nick Fitzgerald throws it out of the back of the end zone. He, Game over. He really poorly he did. Gave, he almost put it in the first row. He did. He really poorly gauged that. This has nothing to do with Nick Fitzgerald. It has nothing no. to do with Mississippi State. It has nothing to do with Alabama. It has, it has to do with the dumb, fact that that yeah. is a bad rule. That... It pays it to, if you are beaten, and that doesn't even have to be the last play of the game, just tackle the guy because you're only giving up 15 yards. I hate the rule. I think they should go with what the NFL has. Put it at the two, put it at the one. It, it should be spot of the foul. And so, again, that it is, it's not at the top of my list, but it's on my list. And it's something I've been wanting to talk about for a while because I think there are a lot of rules in sports that need to be looked at, need to be changed. So that one is on my list. Do you? Would you like to... I agree with that one. I, I did not put it on my list. I hadn't thought of it. Uh, but I do really like that because I I know I've... I think I even asked Julian about it. Like, did coaches tell you when you're 40 yards downfield to just tackle the guy with the ball in the air because it just makes sense? And Like, it, it does, right? Like, it, it, it makes sense. If you're 30 yards downfield, 40 yards downfield, 50 yards downfield, and there's a Hail Mary, and you're close enough to the guy... Swat them, and they them never down. and they never call it. And if by chance they do call it, which they did on Saturday, I mean it was egregious. Oh, I mean if, it still doesn't hurt you. But like, what I'm saying is, even even if it's not like even if you're one on one and like you're close enough on one of those deep balls, which usually you're not. But once you get 50 yards downfield, the ball's in the air, just swat at him, and and he goes down. And you get 15 yards instead of a 70 yard touchdown. Like exactly. It makes sense. Exactly. Uh, they got to change that rule. Here's one that I threw at the top of my list because this happened this weekend. Fumbling out the back of the end zone, should out the end zone from the field of play should not be a touchback. You fumble out of bounds anywhere else on the field, you get the ball back. You fumble at the two and it scoots across the goal line and out of bounds, you lose the ball. That's dumb. Can we can <laughs> like we your analysis it, to that? Can we give it to them where they fumbled it if it goes out the end zone? I'm okay with that. It doesn't rise to the for me. It doesn't rise to the level of like I'm angry about it and it needs to change. That's uh, fair. But that's uh, you know I, Although, I would be on I board did, for that. I did like John Fox this weekend challenging, thinking he was going to get a touchdown, and instead ended up losing the ball because Benny Cunningham did not in fact maintain possession and it went out the end zone. Yeah, that so backfired. That, yeah, that backfired terribly. Could you imagine if you're John Fox and you're like, oh guys, we we just got seven, like we're good, and then they come out and they're like. Uh, the ball is fumbled out of the end zone. That's a touchback. Like, what's the range of emotion there? Now, do you lose a timeout for that? Because technically, the call he didn't was, lose. Technically, yeah. Technically, the call was overturned, right? Yeah, it was. So he probably didn't lose a timeout. 
I mean, I would hope that would be like a double whammy. The one they, saving they're grace. Like, they're like, all right. <laughs> you get to keep your time yeah, out. That's like a triple whammy. All right. So uh, not only did the call not stand, it was overturned, but not how you wanted it. So you lose the ball. And oh, by the way, we're going to take a timeout from you. Could you imagine that? Yeah, I think, they, I think they got to keep their time out. I hope so. Um, another rule that rises to the level of, of angering me is the if you sign an improper scorecard in golf, you're disqualified if you sign up for a lower score on a hole. So if you're playing with someone, say on the PGA Tour, and as we all know, your, your playing partner, whoever you're playing with, keeps your scorecard, if they put down the wrong score and it's less than what you got and you sign it after the round – you are disqualified. I think that is a dumb rule. Someone else's mistake, and I, I know it's on you to check. But it's not your but, fault. Right. Someone right. else's mistake, you sign the scorecard before you catch it, you're disqualified. I think that's... that's <laughs> to use your analysis, I think that's dumb. <laughs> it is. Uh, here's another one, a little more advanced, probably. Uh, you know in the NBA, when the ball is like on the rim, you can't touch it? I like the international rule that they play with in the Olympics, where if the ball's on the rim, you could swat it Goal off. Tending? Yeah. You can goaltending's like allowed. I like that idea. I think it would be really interesting to see these like freak athletes trying to swap balls off the rim as they're bouncing above it. Uh, you know, yeah, it might you know take a couple points out of the basket, but that would be an exciting play, right? Like that. That's not like oh, our defense is so much better, it's going to make the game boring. It's like whoa, look at what Kevin Durant just did, swatting that ball out the basket. Like I think that would be a. All right. I think that would be a, a fun kind of that is a, okay. Play. That's a fun one. Again, doesn't rise to the level of angering no. me, but that's uh, that's well, an interesting change. Along those lines, I I liked the uh, shot clock only resetting to fourteen on a on an offensive rebound. I thought that was interesting too. International basketball's got some really interesting rules, as does the basketball tournament. Sure. I think they play the same rules, don't they? They well they've got the the rule that was proposed about so to avoid fouling at, at the at the ends of games. Remember we talked sure. about this last like the year. Hacka. Yeah, yeah, so that you can avoid Hacka Shack or Hacka DeAndre Jordan or whatever name you want to insert there. Uh another rule that rises to the level of just really bothers me uh, that I think needs to be changed. There are plenty of NCAA rules that I think need to be changed, but the one that if the coach, the head coach leaves for another job, I think the players should be allowed to transfer and play right away. On, I have that on my I, list. I think that is a must. Um, and even if you, as a school, decide to change coaches, you're only in college for four years. Obviously, some of these athletes are in college for even less. Do you really need to play for a coach that you don't, don't want to play for yeah. or you don't know or you know, say you don't get along with it, whatever the case may be? Give them a window where they can transfer and and not have to sit out. I think that's only fair. That if a coach takes another job, or if you as a school, as an athletic director, decide decide to fire said coach, for the guys who committed to the coach who is leaving, I think they should be allowed to leave themselves and transfer and not have to sit out. I'm good with that. I had just transfer without having to sit out, and I know that that, that adds, opens up a can of worms, and I know that a lot of people don't like that. I don't like that um, because... That, I, I know that a lot of people don't like that because it, yeah. it might open up more tra- more Absolutely. transfers. And I totally understand that, so I like your kind of, uh, you know, like it's like a, a, middle, way, a middle ground here. Uh, between having to sit out for every transfer and and not having to sit out at all, so I like that. That's a 
I'll, I'll compromise there. Again, we're uh, going over uh, changes in sports that we would like to see made. If we were in char- if we were the sports czar for a day, what rules would we change? We want to hear from you at 315-437-7644. Uh, again, kind of putting together a working list here. What, what else is on All your right, list? Uh, here's the one that is at the absolute top of my list that needs to be changed immediately. Pitchers have to stop hitting in baseball. Pitchers have to stop hitting in baseball. Um, and, and I look at, there are going to be people out there who hate this. I, I know that this is a, a divisive topic in, in the baseball world. I know that. Uh, so much so that one league got it wrong for the last 45 years. See, it's funny but, because it, for most people, if you say DH in baseball, they think you want to get rid of it. No, like that's, no, 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 no. I know, but I, for most people, most people don't like the DH. Like, here's my reasoning. The best hitting pitcher, right, Zach Greinke last year, he had 62 at-bats and he had a 520 OPS. That's on-base percentage plus slugging. That's awful. How bad is that? It is 80 points worse, 90 points worse than the lowest on than the lowest OPS for a qualified batter. So Alex Gordon is the lowest OPS last year for a qualified batter. That means he had enough at bats to qualify for the, the batting title. And his OPS was 608. That's like the all-encompassing, you know, your your walks, your hits, your power. His was at 608, and that's bad, right? Zach Greinke's was at 520. You know, so it's it's just like the 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 idea that we still run with these is inefficiencies is, is so weird to me. Like in football, right? We realized it wasn't a good idea to have our middle linebacker kicking field goals. Right? Like at, at some point in the 60s, they were like, you know what? What if guys just kicked all the time? Like, wouldn't we be better? at kicking if one guy did all the kicking? Like, wouldn't we be better if we put people who knew what they were doing with a bat in the batter's box? And based on the last 45 years, the answer is yes. Like, we've seen this work in in the same league. Um, and, And this didn't used to bother me, like, at all. I never cared. But now that they have interleague play every year, every day of the year, and, you know, you're, you're, you're playing ALNL games every day, you need to do something about it. Like you, you need to to change the rules. Um, I don't know who it's more of a disadvantage to. I'm I'm really not sure. I, I tend to lean AL, but then NL teams don't have anybody to DH when they come to AL parks, so I'm not sure. Uh, but they've got to do something and just play with one set of rules because you're doing this every day and it makes no sense. You're very heated about this. I don't like this at all. And then people are like, "Oh no, but that's how you play baseball." And I'm like, "Yeah." And that was how you played football, and it was dumb. Like yeah, it, the, it, uh... like it, it it just like in sports, throughout the history of sports and like the world, right? We always try and overcome inefficiencies. We always try to innovate and do better and and make a product better, whether it's an assembly line for a car or, you know, streamlining things in in sports. And it like, why haven't we done that yet in baseball? The baseball purists are uh, not happy with you right now. 437-7644. Let's go to the phone lines. Dom in Syracuse wants to check in on our top five Tuesday topic. Hey, Dom. Guys, I, I tend to agree with uh, on the we need to extend the DH to the both leagues. Pitchers need to stop pitching. Completely agree. It makes sense. And pitchers are the, the most important commodity in baseball. They're the highest paid. Um, they need to be valued beyond putting on the mound, or I'm sorry, putting them at death plate. It's just an unnecessary risk. The rule that I would like to change, and you guys got to follow along with me on this one. We've had a lot of quarterbacks go down. The NFL overvalues quarterbacks. They proportion to other players within the system. 
quarterbacks are valued too high. If a quarterback goes down, it essentially ruins an entire season for a team and possibly could ruin the franchise. Look at Andrew Luck, right? Um, what I'm suggesting, and you got to follow along with me on this one, they can only, in order to devalue quarterbacks, they need to increase the value of other positions like the running back. What I'm suggesting is that they only allow three defensive linemen between the hashes uh, in the NFL. You, know, you only get three linemen between the hashes. Blitzes can only come from outside the hash marks. What that's going to do is open up the middle for runs. And right. It's going to va- increase the value of the running back. Now, on top of that, they allow the corners to bump more. Allow the quarterbacks to be with these touch flags. Allow them to bump. Allow it to get more physical on the outside for the for the cornerbacks and the wide receivers. Basically, taking you still offer by only having three linemen and only blitzing from the outside. You protect the quarterback, but it opens up the game to the running game, and it makes it harder for to have you know uh, EA Sports football where we have scores of like you know huge down-the-field passes, 50-plus-yard passes. What do you think? That's inter- that is really radical and really interesting. Keep Dom on the line with but us. But I don't hate it. My concern, Dom, and I'm I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt of this, and I'm I'm trying to think it through in my head. My my initial concern when you said it is, does it take away from the overall excitement of the game for the fan? Because I I kind of like fifty yard passes, and and you know there, there's a there's a happy medium right between what we saw in the dome on Saturday, you know sixty four forty three, and you know. And a nine-six, you know, slugfest where it's a lot of running and, and field goals. So there, oh. you know, there's, some, there's something in between. But I, my concern with that is, if you devalue the quarterback position too much, it, it takes away from the excitement of the game for the fan. Maybe devaluing is the wrong way of saying it. If it's a, it's a way to protect the quarterback while while still increasing the value of. Think about it. Once upon a time, Barry Sanders and Emmitt Smith were preeminent players in the NFL. In the, NFL. The, the running back position was on par with wide receiving. You had, it, was, it was one of the premier positions. Now running backs are almost a throwaway position. You wear them out, you get another one, plug and play, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, the, whereas the quarterbacks now, you can't – I mean, you're overpaying for mediocre quarterbacks because the market is so thin on them. So this is a way of, A, protecting the quarterback, and, B, increasing the value of other positions, right? Yeah. And so, like I said, that's just something that I thought of a way, trying to find a way to um, keep the flow of the game going and decrease the value of the prima donnas, I mean quarterbacks. uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dan. Anyway, guys. Appreciate you checking in. 315-437-7644. It's interesting. It's an interesting Radical. thought. Radical. More so than um, putting the DH in both leagues. Yeah. And I, I think allowing the corners to be more physical with the receivers. I'm again, fine with that. I, I, to an extent, right. I think. Because, again, do you want a corner to be able to hold and clutch and no. grab the, all the way downfield? No. Do you, you know, maybe do you give them a little more leeway instead of five yards? Maybe is it 10 yards? I, I don't know. Um that one I would have to. There, there would have to be some more debate on that. I would have to figure out and and be comfortable with 
with how that was going to work. Again, if I was the czar of sports, I don't know if I would sign up for that immediately, but Dom can maybe talk me into talk it me into if it. he yeah. gives me a little more information. That's why I said I don't hate it right off the bat. Like, I don't necessarily like it, but I don't hate the idea, right? Like, it's it's intriguing to me. Can I throw out my one last one sure. before I, I know we've got to get to a break? Uh, this ridiculous rule in college football that you're down as soon as you're down. Like, in the NFL, you got to get touched. You got to be touched. Right? You got to okay. be tapped. Um, I think that if you make a diving catch 30 yards downfield and nobody's within five yards, you shouldn't just be down. And, and the same thing holds true in, in high school, and I'll give you a perfect example. One of our Friday Night Fever High School Game of the Weeks that we called on ESPN Radio earlier this year, um, a team, I forget who it was, I think it was Central Square, tried a, a fake extra point, and they executed it to except perfection, except for the holder's knee was down. That's and insane. It, and it was it was basically the snap, the kicker, instead of obviously kicking the ball, he immediately ran out to the left. The The holder gets up, flips it to him, and he runs it. I mean, it was perfectly executed, except for the fact that the holder's knee was down. And, and so, I mean, that was a perfect example of, it's a, it's a silly rule in that regard. I mean, there was... It's it, a ridiculous it, rule. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, again, doesn't rise to the level of anger for me, but I, I could, I could definitely see that one being changed. One of our loyal listeners, uh, reached out to us on Twitter, I was bring this one up. uh, suggesting a, a rule change in college football that if play stops because of an injury, uh, that player must sit out the rest of, of the possession. Or, uh, again, this suggestion is maybe even the quarter. I could sign up for the rest of the possession. And, and we, yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen, no, I'm fine with you that. know, guys go down in the dome, you know, opposing defenses just to, to get SU out of its rhythm. If you got to sit out the rest of the possession, you might not be so inclined to, to yeah. go down. Or maybe that series, if you don't want to make it the whole possession, maybe instead of one play, you got to sit out, you know, three plays or whatever it may be. Yeah. No, I, I look, I, I'm hesitant to, Say that guys are faking injuries. Uh, you look if if it's but if an you're obvious, legitimately if it's hurt, an obvious, then are you are then you ready to come back, back in the next anyway. play? No, anyway, no, no, right. no, no, no. If you're legitimately hurt, you're not coming back in. Um, if it's a legitimately fake injury, like I think that there are things that we have to do in in college sports to to stop those. And the NFL, like I, I think that we I think that we've got to. It, that you have to penalize people if, if it's becoming a trend or if it's a a, a a legitimately fake injury like the Middle Tennessee State guy. If it you know if if a guy twists his ankle and you know he he can't stand on it but he sits that you know he he gets it retaped and and he's able to come back in two plays later like. That's a legitimate injury, and you're it able is, to come back in. Yes, it is. But for him to go to the sidelines, get his ankle retaped. I mean, the way that college football moves these days, he's missing more than three plays. Okay, you know. Yeah. So no, if, I don't hate the idea. Yeah. It's just I, I'm a I, possession might right. be a lot. I could I don't, maybe I, a series. I'm just not a fan of penalizing people if they are. If there is actually some kind of well, an it's in- not a penalty though. Right. It's you know if if you're it's a rule. You know your helmet pops off, you miss a play. If you're down and the trainers have to come out and attend to you. You miss three plays or whatever, sure. whatever it may be, and then you sure. could, you could, uh, you could say I it's can, player safety. That's when I could easily get talked into. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a time out. We'll wrap up our number one right after this. I've still yet to give you my number one rule that I would like to see changed in all of sports, and it kind of it's along the same lines of you going against the baseball purists. Uh, it's a different sport that I want to get to. Uh, we'll get to that next. Keep it here. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth, back with you on a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. We are brought to you in part by Charles Heating and Air. Again, Donna DeTota from Syracuse.com and the Syracuse Post Standard set to join us uh, in about a half hour from now, a little more than a half hour from now, to talk SU basketball. Orange taking on Iona tonight inside the Carrier Dome. But we continue our our top five uh, Tuesday topic 
if you were the czar of sports, if you could change anything, any rule in sports, what would it be? Uh, at the top of my list, Seth, I go to the sport of soccer, and I watch a lot of soccer. You do? Both of my kids play soccer. My son loves watching soccer on TV. Manchester United is his favorite team. As you know, I went to a Manchester United game over the summer, which, by the way, was awesome. I mean, I, was, I wasn't I was sure if I was going to like it. Watching that level of competition in per, I mean that level yes. of athlete it was it was amazing the atmosphere was cool we were at FedEx Field down in Washington DC and uh Barcelona against Manchester United it was awesome. awesome it was awesome okay I went, I went to one game in London it might have been the coolest sporting great experience event. Yeah. right okay so this is not a knock against like the sport of soccer like it's i get it okay um i i get the appeal if i could change one thing about sports though i would change offsides the fact that it is like a play for the defenders to run upfield yes. and try to catch you off like to me it it just it does it, it's not playing the game and how many times do we see like amazing goals scored and then you know the flag comes up and you look at it in an instant replay and the guy is like you know a centimeter offside and it it takes away the goal i just personally personally speaking I think soccer would be way more exciting if you just eliminated offsides. I mean, in, in any other sport, I mean, in in any other sport, you can cherry pick. Again, I realize hockey to some degree, like you have to stay onside. Yeah, but again, there's. Well, I would say I, I would say adopt something similar to the hockey line, you're, right? And that's fine. The, that's fine. What you pointed out is the problem I have with offsides in soccer is that you're putting it in the hands of a player on the other team. Like if a if a player on the other team wants to get you offside, they can. Which if is a, what you were saying. A fraction of a second before you know your teammate crosses the ball into the box, if the defender just, just jumps sprints up, up field, exactly. you're offside. I I exactly. just I I can't get my head around that. I, I cannot get behind that. That's what I was saying. Like it, it, if that defender wants to make you offsides and change possession badly enough, they could do it. Uh, in hockey, that the the offsides rule in hockey doesn't make much sense either. But the but the the fact remains that it's a line, and if you cross the line before the puck goes into the air, before the puck crosses the line, you're offsides. If if soccer were to institute some kind of rule like that, I would like it a lot more than what they've got now. I'm I'm with you there. It drives me crazy, Seth. And again, I watch a lot of soccer, not necessarily by choice, but my son loves it. Both my kids play it, and I. I enjoy soccer um, to some degree. I think I would enjoy it more if you eliminate the offsides. I think we would see more scoring. I think it would be more exciting. The soccer purists out there, I'm sure, are rolling their eyes, and they hate it, and that's fine. If you like to call and tell me why offsides uh, is a fantastic rule, I'm, I'm all ears. I just personally, I, I can't get behind it, that you know a defender runs upfield and just raises his arm, and that's like a good play, that he drew, you know, Drew, do, drew the other team offsides. Do kids do that in in your kids' soccer games? To some degree, I mean they're they're getting to that level. I, mean, I wasn't son, sure if they do it at that age. My son's eleven. He plays you know U twelve thirteen. Uh, they're getting to that point. My daughter's in high school now, so I mean yes, they're getting to that point. But it's where they're smart enough to like try and trick people into. But again, it's it is a play. To, but let's eliminate that. So it's not a smart play. <laughs> right. So it's not a tactic anymore. Just play the game. Right. That's all again, I'm saying. Take it out of the hands of the other team. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm with. You. All right, fine. I'm glad you're on board with uh, with my number one rule that I, I'd like to see change. Uh, we'll leave that on the table if you'd like to chime in. 315-437-7644. Hour number one in the books. We'll kick off hour number two right after this. But first, here's Max with a Sports Center update.